0: Talk to nicely. My girlfriend and I were heading home after dinner with my parents. The weather was worse than terrible and a travel advisory was all over the news, but we decided to attempt the roads anyway. Be careful, my dad told us when we left. They're calling for whiteout conditions on Highway 6. If it gets really bad, just turn around and come back, okay? He looked nervous, but I reassured him as best as I could. They always say these storms are gonna be bad, but they never really are these days. Global warming, dad, it's gonna be fine. But of course, it wasn't. We got about 20 miles down the road when things started to get really bad. The narrow paved highway we were traveling on became more and more snow-covered, and the blowing flurries obscured my vision so that I couldn't see more than 20 feet in front of the car. Soon that distance narrowed to 15 feet, then 10, until the car was moving at a crawling pace and I could no longer determine where the shoulder began or where the road ended. The ditches had disappeared as well, obscured by a wall of white which extended high into the sky above. Stop, pull over. You can't see anything. You could crash into somebody or go into a ditch. My girlfriend Jenny was yelling. Eventually I listened and pulled over, my heart beating fast as I tried to figure out what to do. Shit. Well, we can't just stay here, I said. The car is going to get buried in the snow. And before you know it, we'll run out of gas and have no heat. My heart was pounding fast in my chest as I tried to decide what to do. How much is there in the tank? It's just above a quarter, I told her. Hang on, I'm going to hop out and take a look around. Be careful, she said as I opened the door and looked both ways for traffic. On foot. I could see that the ditch was just a few inches to the right of where I'd pulled over, and I'd been dangerously close to going into it. But at least I wasn't in the middle of the road where a car could come flying through and hit me at any second. Still, I didn't feel any safer. I went a few feet forward, trying to determine if there was a house or a gas station nearby where we could stop and pull into a driveway. It wasn't good to be at the side of the road like this, where someone could come along and crash into us at any second. Usually I'd be scared to go knocking on a stranger's door, but these were desperate times, and I would have done that in an instant if I'd seen porch lights or something indicating a house nearby, but there was nothing. Terrified of losing the car in the snow, I didn't dare go more than 20 feet from it, and as soon as the headlights were obscured by white and totally gone, I panicked and went back to it, my heart beating even faster than before. The last thing I wanted to do was lose the vehicle in the blizzard. I'd heard stories of people dying that way. Did you see anything? Jenny asked as I got back into the car, freezing cold wind and stabbing needles of snow following with me. Nothing. I'll try to go forward a bit more. Maybe if I roll down my window, I'll be able to see better. I put the car into drive and stuck my head out the window like a dog. My nose and cheeks were freezing from the cold wind and prickled with pins and needles from the snow. It felt surreal to be driving in this weather and extremely unsafe. All I could see was white. After progressing another 30 feet or so, we came to a standstill again. I got out and walked a few feet before losing the car in the snow and quickly realized it was hopeless. Without any way to see the edges of the road or anything ahead of us, we were sure to end up in a ditch. It was only a matter of time. What are we gonna do? Jenny asked, looking scared. I was ready to say something back when suddenly I saw headlights coming toward us. They didn't look like regular car headlights. They were moving slowly and they were high up and close together. And the chugging sound that accompanied them reminded me of something that I couldn't place right away. Looking up at the vehicle as it pulled to a stop beside our car, I saw a man in a glass box above us that looked alien and unrecognizable in the snow. And then I realized why. It was a man in a green John Deere tractor. He was an old farmer in overalls with a young woman on his lap who looked 60 years younger than him. I pegged him at about 80 and guessed she was just shy of her 20th birthday, but she had a smile on her face and looked content. You folks need some help? He asked, opening the cabin door. Yeah, I said, opening my own door and getting out. Come on, Jenny. Maybe we can use their phone to call for help. She got out and followed after me, and we all crammed into the tractor, which smelled like spent chewing tobacco and body odor mixed with hay. My place is just over there, he said, hooking his thumb over his shoulder from the direction where he came. You're welcome to stay with us and wait out the storm. You can even spend the night if you have to. There's plenty of room, but I can't promise our phone will be working. Lost reception when the power went out, maybe an hour ago. I took out my cell phone and saw the cellular network was down too. Or maybe this was just a dead zone. Well, we can't thank you enough for helping us, I said. We were starting to get really worried. The man looked grim. Storm like this is nothing to mess around with you can wind up in a ditch. Nobody will find your body for days, sometimes not even until the spring. And by then, they'll need dental records to identify you." I shuddered involuntarily, looking at the old man with alarm. No way I would have thought him capable of saying something like that. But then again, one thing I've learned in my life is that people can be unpredictable. When we arrived at the old man's place, I saw it was a large farmhouse with a barn out back. The details of the property beyond were obscured by snow flurries, but I thought I saw the outlines of a few other buildings as well, and maybe a silo or two. It was a decent-sized farm, and I imagined at his age, he had to have help running it. He took us inside and immediately lit a cigarillo, waving out the match and tossing it into a bronze dish full of blackened embers. Then he led us further into the dimly lit house, disappearing momentarily around a corner and out of sight. The young woman hung behind us, locking the door with a key which she quietly pocketed and flashed us an odd smile. The house was old and smelled like tobacco smoke and unwashed dogs. There was a gray haze and a smell of wood fire in the air. The two of them led us toward a door concealing a short flight of stairs which brought us to the basement. Come on down and join the party," he said. And it breathed a sigh of relief to see there was a group of people sitting around the room at the bottom of the stairs. We wouldn't be completely alone with this strange man and his oddly-aged partner for the entire night, at least. I found a couple more stragglers out there, our host said, smiling. I'm sorry, I forgot to introduce myself. I'm Randall Mitchell. This is my goddaughter, Lucy. And these folks are like you. All of them got stuck outside in that nasty storm. We're all safe thanks to you, our guardian angel," a young woman with a baby said, standing up to give the old man a hug. I don't know how we'll ever be able to repay you for this. The old man showed his yellow, nicotine-stained teeth. No repayment necessary, my dear. I'm just happy I was in a position to help. We all need each other in this world from time to time. We need to feed off of each other's goodness, not deny our basic human nature." The old man pulled his goddaughter in closer, so their hips were touching in a way that made me uncomfortable. I saw her put her hand in his back pocket and leave it there as he smiled wider. The woman who had been thanking him looked uncomfortable and sat back down without another word. She stared at her lap, looking deep in thought and slightly worried all of a sudden. now. Who wants hot chocolate? I know you two do. Jenny and I couldn't help but nod. We were both still freezing from the outdoors, and a cup of steaming hot cocoa sounded like just what the doctor ordered. We introduced ourselves to the other people in the basement while we waited for Randall and Lucy to return with hot chocolate. One by one, they explained how they had been driving on the road and how the blizzard had caused them to stop. Luckily. Randall had just happened to be around to save them, one by one. Conversation slowly died down again and an awkward silence ensued. What's wrong? Jenny asked, and I realized I was staring vacantly off into the nearest wall. It was a bad habit I had when I was thinking about something. At that moment, I was thinking about all those cars on the road. Why hadn't we seen any of them? We'd left ours at the side of the road but I hadn't seen any others before or after we stopped. It was possible I had missed them in the snow, but I doubted it. I was about to ask the man sitting closest to me, a man named Bill, what he had done with his vehicle, but then Randall returned with Lucy and there was no opportunity. Setting my concerns aside, I decided I was being paranoid. There was probably more opportunity to get the other vehicles off the road before we arrived. There was no sense making a scene by questioning people about it. Still, I didn't drink the hot chocolate. I didn't trust it, and neither did Jenny. We went to bed early and a few of us slept on the floor. There were enough blankets and pillows thanks to Randall and Lucy, who offered us water and told us where the bathroom was in case we needed it. Lying on the floor next to Jenny, I closed my eyes and drifted off to sleep, telling myself I was being paranoid These were good people. They had helped us. I fell into a deep slumber much quicker than usual. But my dreams were not pleasant. When I awoke, it was still the middle of the night. I heard a sound from a room nearby, a dull, rhythmic knocking, like someone behind a door insisting on being let in or let out. Closing my eyes, I tried desperately to ignore it, but it didn't stop for a long, long time. At some point, I must have fallen back asleep because I opened my eyes to see that it was morning. The sun was shining through a small gap above the snow in the high windows above us, letting in just enough light to wake us up. Looking around, I noticed with a surreal sense of horror that we were alone. All of the other people who had been in the basement the night prior and who had been sleeping around us were gone the woman named Barbara and her child, Bill and his family, and the couple who had been sitting in the corner. I elbowed Jenny and asked her if she saw anyone leave. No, she said. I wonder what happened to them. My heart was beating quickly in my chest and I rose to my feet, wondering what would happen if we tried the door leading back up to the main level. Would it be locked? The burnt bacon smell of breakfast was in the air and I realized I was starving. Maybe they're already awake, Jenny said. It smells like someone's making food. We went upstairs and found Randall was in the kitchen at the table, reading his newspaper. But nobody was cooking breakfast, and there was no sign of the others. Morning, folks, Randall said, looking up from his paper. We sure did get hit hard last night. Paperboy didn't make it, I'm afraid. This is yesterday's news. The old man had a smile on his face that I couldn't help but return, despite the unsettling situation. Thanks, I said, taking a seat. How much did we end up getting? More than six feet, and it's still coming. I can't even get the front door open. I felt a heavy weight like cement sitting in my stomach, thinking about the fact that we were trapped in here with this man. But he was so friendly and unassuming, not to mention, by the looks of him, He was 80 years old. Why the hell was I so suspicious of him? But my gut was telling me something was wrong and I always trusted my gut. What happened to everyone? I asked and the question came out sounding much harsher and more accusatory than I intended. I lowered my gaze when Randall looked at me with his cold blue eyes, unflinching. Oh, did they leave? They must have escaped before the door got blocked. Didn't even realize they were gone. Jenny softened the mood by speaking up in a friendly voice. It smells good in here. His head snapped around to look at her. Does it? He asked. Yeah. Did you already have breakfast? No. An awkward silence hung over the three of us. It definitely smelled like someone had been cooking meat. Finally, Jenny broke the quiet by speaking up again. Oh, well... If the four of us are gonna be stuck here, maybe we can work out some sort of arrangement. Do you have enough to eat so we can make something for ourselves? We can reimburse you for the cost." The old man smiled. I might have something that will satisfy you. His grin grew even wider and he turned his gaze to look at me. And you, are you hungry? Gonna get you something as well? Despite how creepy all of this was getting, I was famished and I had to eat something. So I nodded my head, feeling like I was making a deal with the devil for some reason. After nearly an hour of waiting in the dining room, Randall finally emerged from the kitchen with a steaming tray in hand. He presented us with a plate of meat, dripping with bloody juices. Sorry it took so long, he said. I had to do some butchery on these steaks. It's worth the trouble though. You wouldn't believe how much cheaper it is when you acquire these things in bulk. I never go to the grocery store anymore. If you saw how much money I've been saving, you'd see why. It's like highway robbery. He put the steaks on plates for us, and we began to eat. There was a pool of red liquid sitting puddled in the center of my dish, looking very red and bloody, and I wondered just how undercooked the steak was going to be. I'd always been a medium sort of guy myself, pink, but not bloody. Lucy, breakfast, the old man called out. His goddaughter came downstairs a minute later, looking surprised to see us there. Oh, she said, fiddling with her hair. Are they gonna, they're staying with us? This struck me as odd, since she'd been there when he'd invited us to spend the night, but now she was acting clueless about it, like she was expecting us to have left like the others, despite the fact that we were snowed in. The door is blocked, Lucy, Randall said. Now eat your steak. She sat down with a moody sigh and started cutting into the piece of meat in front of her, casting awkward glances in our direction from time to time. You two can stay for no charge today, Randall said suddenly. But if the snow keeps up and you're stuck in here for another night, I'll expect some payment for room and board. Jenny looked up at me nervously, but I quickly agreed. That's fair. We don't have much cash on us though. You know how it is these days, debit and credit everywhere. If you don't have the money, you can work off the debt. I'm always looking for help around the farm and we've got plenty of livestock to take care of. I nodded, thinking I had guessed right when I'd looked at the other farm buildings out back. The man definitely needed help around this huge place. And I wasn't opposed to chipping in to pay back the debt of staying and eating his food. Especially if we were going to be stuck inside anyways. Sure. What did you have in mind? Nothing much. Just a few hours of feeding the animals, changing the hay, that sort of thing. It'll keep you busy if we keep getting more of this snow. You're going to be getting pretty bored by tomorrow afternoon around here. No cable TV and no internet. How would we get out there? I thought we're snowed in. There's a door in the basement that leads through a tunnel to the barns, and they're all connected. I had it built so we could get out there in case of a storm like this. Up in this area, we used to get them all the time, although not so much anymore. Global warming, I said, nodding. The man scowled and shook his head. The next ice age is coming. You'll see back in the 70s they said the world was gonna freeze over like it did when the woolly mammoths were roaming around now they talk about global warming it's all horseshit the temperature goes up and down that's all there is to it we've got no control over it i knew better than to argue with the guy after he'd taken us in from the weather and just nodded my head thinking to myself the weather will clear up by tomorrow it has to That day passed by uneventfully and pretty soon it was dark outside again, with no Wi-Fi and no television. There wasn't much to do around the farmhouse, but at least it was warm and there was food to go around for the four of us, even if every meal was a very rare steak that tasted a little funny. Jenny and I went to bed early and tried to sleep, but I could tell she was tossing and turning just as much as I was. Something about this house and about the situation was very wrong. Everything about it felt off. Around midnight, I decided to try the door leading outside for myself, to see if it would open again. I walked over to it and opened the screen door as quietly as I could, then turned the door handle, pushing against the wood with all of my body weight. I imagined the others who had been in the basement with us doing the same thing and getting out before first light, running to their cars and gunning the engines racing away from this place. Maybe they'd known something was wrong with the old man too. And the more I thought about it, the more I didn't want to find out what it would be like working for him, despite my earlier promises. The door wouldn't budge, but it didn't feel like snow was blocking it on the other side. It felt like a lock, as if someone had put a deadbolt on the thing which could only be accessed from the exterior. The bulk of the door wiggled a fraction of an inch but no further each time I pushed against it. It was like we were locked in. Jenny was sitting upright, watching me in the darkness where she'd been sleeping. What's wrong? she asked. And I was surprised at her insight into my emotions, judging just by my body language in the dark room. Don't freak out, I can't be sure, but I think it's locked from the outside. I whispered, walking back over to her. She gripped my arm with a cold hand and squeezed my bicep with her fingers digging in painfully. What do you mean from the outside? I'm not sure, but it doesn't feel like snow to me. Something's wrong here, can't you feel it? I'm just getting this vibe that we need to get out, now, tonight, before the sun comes up and we're stuck here for another day, maybe longer. It was hard to see much through the narrow gaps of the windows high in the room since they were mostly covered with snow. We had no idea what it really looked like outside. Here, let me boost you up so you can look out the window, I said, pointing at one nearby. We went over to it and stood below it. I put my hands out in front of me and made a step for Jenny to put her foot on. Looking up again at the window, my heart skipped a beat. A face was pressed up against the glass, looking in at us. Eyes that were black as night watched us Hands held up at the sides of the face to block the glare of light outside. Fuck! I shrieked involuntarily. Jenny saw it too, and the two of us backed away from the window, moving toward our bunks. We got in and laid back down beneath the covers, like children caught awake in the night past our bedtimes. A second later, the face disappeared. The whole thing was unsettling, but more than anything, it proved I was right. There was someone outside, which meant it was possible to get outside. The weather had improved and the old man was keeping us trapped here as prisoners. We need to get out of here, I said to Jenny after we were sure the face in the window was gone. But how? As if to answer the question, a banging sound came from somewhere, just the same as it had the night before. It was a hollow, metallic sound, somehow sad and lonely in its resonance. What is that? Jenny asked, gripping my hand tightly. I don't know, I whispered. I heard it last night too. The noise continued, steady and rhythmic, the same pace and frequency as the night before. With a weary glance up at the window, the two of us began to look around, hoping if we could find the source of the sound, it might somehow lead to a way out as well. It was getting louder as we got closer to the rear of the basement, and as I explored each side, I found it became softer and harder to hear. A large mirror was set up at one end of the room we were in, and I tried to move it aside. Surprisingly, it slid to the right with ease, as if it were on a sliding set of rails. Behind it was a weathered door, covered with flaking red paint which resembled the color of congealing blood in the darkness of the basement. I took a glance at Jenny and she locked eyes with me. I could see she was shaking and noticed that I was too. I raised my hand and grabbed the doorknob. Despite our fear, she nodded her head and I turned the knob, and we looked through the threshold at what lay beyond. The corridor smelled like hay and manure. The familiar smells of agriculture which indicated this passageway led to a barn. Remembering Randall's words, I decided this must be the underground tunnel which led to the other farm buildings. It stood to reason that it would lead to other exits as well. We'd finally found our way out. I don't like this, Jenny said. It feels too easy. I hoped she was wrong about that, but I was getting a similar sensation, especially after seeing the eyes looking in at us through the window. If they saw we were missing, they'd quickly find out where we went. Still, what was I scared of? An old man and his daughter? I could take him if I had to, I thought to myself. As long as he doesn't have a gun, a skeptical voice in my mind said, or he could have help. You saw the face in the window and it didn't look like him. And you said for yourself there had to be more people working on this farm. I was more and more scared with each step we took down the long tunnel. And I noticed it was getting colder as well. Finally, we emerged into a dimly lit barn The two of us ducked down behind a wall and watched around the corner as a worker entered the large space. Hay was all over the floor, and I assumed this was an area which contained animals, thus explaining the hay and manure. The man was carrying what looked like a bag of feed, and he dumped it into a trough at the center of the large space. All right, he called out, removing a pistol from a holster attached to his belt. Dinner time, biggies. People began to emerge from the cages and pens I'd presumed were meant for farm animals. Instead of cows and pigs, men and women emerged from each one. They were teary-eyed and some were weeping. As they got down on their hands and knees to eat the slop they'd been given, I noticed something even more horrifying. The people were missing pieces of themselves, arms and legs, and various other parts had been shaved off them The wounds were half healed in some cases and covered with bloody bandages. Oh my God, Jenny whispered from beside me, gripping my arm tightly. She was seeing the same thing I was. The old man's words came back to me from when we had been sitting around his breakfast table. Sorry it took so long. I had to do some butchery on these steaks. You wouldn't believe how much cheaper it is when you acquire these things in bulk. I never go to the grocery store anymore. If you saw how much money I've been saving, you'd see why. It's like highway robbery." The whole time he'd been laughing about it in our faces. He was collecting people at the side of the road and eating them. Maybe he was in some sort of twisted cult or secret society. I'd heard rumors of such people existing. Online forums where cannibalism was discussed in great detail. I'd even heard there was a name for it, Zambian meat. I began to gag as the realization settled in, and I thought about the implications. Jenny, the steaks. She covered her mouth with her hand, trembling as she whispered back to me. Jesus, he fed us fucking people, Jason. I couldn't help it. I threw up involuntarily, and Jenny did as well, just as the worker was leaving the barn, going out through a door which looked to lead outside. After several moments of retching and coughing up bile as quietly as we could, we gathered our wits again. There, I said, pointing at the exit. That's gotta be the way out. Come on, let's go. We'll get the police and come back for these people. The two of us took one last look around the barn for any signs of guards and began to run towards the exit. Instantly, I realized our mistake. The people there were so desperate to get out, so afraid of the situation they were in, that as soon as they saw us, they began to scream for help. We're saved, a woman yelled. Jason, Jenny, said Bill, the man from the night prior. He was now missing a leg and hobbled over to us, falling to the ground hard at one point and then crawling, grasping the straw-covered floor with his hands as he dragged himself the rest of the way on his belly. Before I knew it, the man was holding onto my leg, weeping like a child. You have to get us out, you have to help us. He screamed over and over again. There were thick chains attached to ankle bracelets that held each one of them, preventing them from escaping the barn. But they didn't think about that detail as they wailed and cried, begging us to let them out, to take them with us. We're going to get help, you have to let us go. I tried to reason with them, but they were no longer thinking properly. The hot chocolate. Bill was yelling now. Don't drink the hot chocolate. Footsteps could be heard outside, and Jenny and I quickly realized the worker was returning. With my heart jackhammering in my chest, I kicked my leg out of Bill's grasp. He scrambled after us as we raced out of the room, heading for the door which I assumed led into another barn beside this one. A second after we left the barn, I heard the door open and the worker was in the doorway, yelling, Shut up and eat your slop. We ain't letting you out of here, so quit asking. He was quiet suddenly, and I wondered if he sensed something was off. The group of prisoners were still making a lot of noise, asking to be let go, talking to us even though we were no longer in the room. I wondered how long a few of them had been kept here, and if they had gone completely mad by this point. The sound we'd been hearing from the basement was much louder now, and I looked around at the new space we were in, seeing it was not a barn, but a butcher room. Bloodstains were on the floor and splatter on the walls. There were drains at the center of the area and the smooth floors sloped toward them to funnel blood away from stainless steel tables where the gruesome work was done. Hair and pieces of bone and flesh were lying on the ground in places, but the tables had been meticulously cleaned and polished. Giant chest freezers and refrigerators were arranged along one wall Hooks were hanging from the ceiling on a conveyor belt, which brought carcasses to and from another room. It was quite cold in here, I noticed, and when I breathed out, I could see a puff of fog escaping my lungs. The sound came again, and this time it was from one specific fridge, which I noticed was rattling back and forth each time the noise was made. Despite my fear and desire to escape, I found myself drawn to the fridge on wobbling legs, I wandered to it and stood in front of it, breathing deeply and taking in the coppery smelling air. We need to get out of here, Jenny said urgently, but I knew it was pointless. There was no other way out. My entire body was trembling as I gripped the fridge door handle and prepared myself for what was inside. I opened it and felt my skin turn ice cold. The man inside the fridge was still alive, but just barely. His skin was turning blue. His lips were chapped, broken, and frost-covered. His arms and legs had been removed, the stumps cauterized with a hot brand. He opened his mouth to scream, and I saw he had no tongue. All he could do to call for help was what he had been doing. With as much force as he could muster, he banged his head hard against the inside of the fridge, hitting his forehead where a black, swarming bruise had developed and then he mouthed the words which I could easily make out, despite the fact that I didn't know how to read lips. There were only two of them, and they were plain enough to see and easy enough to guess considering the situation. Kill me, the man in the fridge said without sound, and then the door crashed in behind us. The worker entered the room, and we were still hidden behind a large cabinet, but just barely. There was only one place to go, only one place to hide, My girlfriend and I crammed ourselves into the refrigerator, taking up residence with the man inside, and I pulled the door closed, hoping no one had seen us enter. We held our collective breath, and even the man in there with us did the same, as if hoping maybe with our help, he could still be free of this place. It was freezing cold inside the fridge, unbearable. My skin began to feel as if it were being stabbed with pins and needles as I tried to adjust my body weight to get more comfortable but it was impossible. There wasn't an inch of extra room. It felt like I couldn't breathe, as if I were suffocating, as if my lungs were turning into ice. And then footsteps could be heard from just outside, and I dared not move an inch. Raspy breathing sounds, and then a cough echoed. And then the door opened, and I saw Randall outside with the worker who had been looking for us. Lucy was with them, and all three had pistols and shotguns pointed in our direction if we moved an inch i had no doubt they would use them these people would not hesitate to kill us the old man had a large caliber pistol in one hand and in the other he had a cigarillo he put it to his lips and took a puff smiling at us then he breathed out a frosty plume of smoke and began to laugh (laughs) you know i offered the two of you a job for a reason you looked like hard workers he let out a sigh But if you'd prefer to be meat, well, we can make that happen, too. We're always in need. After all, Mitchell Zambian meat goes out all over the world. We're a very popular supplier in our niche demographic, and we always need more inventory." I tried to protest, to tell him we'd do what he asked, we'd do anything. But all I could do was chatter my teeth as I tried to form a sentence. A second later, the door was closed and we were left in darkness again, in the cold, unable to move, just like if we'd gone into a ditch during that snowstorm. Nobody will find you until the spring. And by then, they'll need dental records to identify you. I'm starting to think we would have been better off in the ditch.